the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Thought leaders and experts join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. My first guest today is Dr. Judith Orloff, who says that it's possible to live a more open-hearted life without burning out or experiencing compassion fatigue. According to Dr. Orloff, there are ways to nurture empathy while developing coping skills. Dr. Orloff is a New York Times bestselling author and a leading voice in the fields of medicine, psychiatry, and intuitive development. She's on the psychiatric clinical faculty at UCLA. Welcome, Dr. Orloff. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. So, Judith, today's world can be brutal. There are so many stresses that can cause emotional burnout or make us sick. And when things get to be too much, a natural reaction is to shut down and isolate. But you say that there are ways that we can be compassionate and engaged while practicing self-protection. So let's talk about people who feel too much or take on the problems and energy of others. We're living in a time of sensory overload. What happens to our body when we take on too much negative energy? And so I wrote my book, The Empath Survival Guide, to address exactly this, because there's so many of us who are sensitive and empathic and loving and caring, but we tend to care too much. And empaths are people who are emotional sponges and tend to absorb the stress from the world or other people into their own bodies. And so as a result, we I'm also an empath and also a psychiatrist, so I in- integrate those two skills to help patients. Um, but we as empaths and sensitive people need to learn grounding skills and setting boundaries and self-care techniques so that we don't burn out. Because an empath has a body um, that doesn't have the same kind of defenses that other people have, where everything goes straight into us, as if we're a, a wire that's not insulated. And that can have very positive effects. It allows you to have compassion and love and passion and creativity and intuition and spirituality, and you're wide open to all those beautiful energies. But... The stresses also come in and can affect you really strongly. That's why it's important to practice protection technique. Judith, are people born 
as an empath? Is this something that we have from birth or is it something we develop throughout our life? That That's an excellent question. In the book, I go through, you know, are we born empathic? Are, is there a genetic component? Um, now, how do we become empathic? And, you know, some babies are born empathic. Um, in my medical school training, I worked in OBGYN and delivered babies as, as part of my education. And some babies will come out. They look like little Buddhas and so open, so sensitive. You can just feel it. Whereas others come out, you know, without that sensitivity, and I'm not saying one is better than the other, it's just different. You know, they seem more intact. They seem more grounded and less susceptible to um, noise, sound, smells, movement. They aren't as easily startled. So I think there is really a temperament element. And um, there's also, I think, a genetic element because sometimes empathy and intuition Deep empathy comes through families because I know my grandmother, my mother, my cousins, and myself, we all have, we're all empaths and we're all intuitive. So it came down that lineage of the family. Um, and then also um, being an empath can be related to trauma. Now, if you've been raised in a dysfunctional home or with an alcoholic or abusive parent, that can beat down your defenses so that you know, the normal barriers that you have up or that you would get from nurturing parents aren't there. And so you tend to feel things more strongly. And part of the recovery as an empath is learning to heal the post-traumatic stress that happened early on. You know, as you're talking, a, a word kept going through my mind because I remember growing up, Somebody who was probably an empath would just be labeled, oh, she's just overly sensitive and almost right. written off. Is that the same type of person? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, yes, exactly. It gets me so mad. It happens all the time. I mean, when I was gro growing up, my parents said, oh, you're just overly sensitive. Oh, just get thicker skin. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, get stronger. And what that did was made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I had a certain temperament. I was really a sensitive child. And there's a chapter in the Empath Survival Guide on raising sensitive, empathic children. And I feel very strongly about that because they need to get the proper kind of support to develop their sensitivities. You're right. We used to tell people, well, just toughen up as though this is something bad, when really you just need to learn some coping strategies. I think it's wonderful. I'm an empath. I think it's a wonderful uh -huh. way to be, but I need to protect because I have been hurt very badly, but I wouldn't want to be any other way. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it just opens you up. I mean, you're so, you get to know the secrets of the universe because you're feeling so many things that other people can't feel. Uh, there's in terms of nature Empaths really commune with nature and animals and water, creativity. You know, Alanis Morissette says, I love being a creative empath. You know, it, so many uh, creative people are empaths. So many people go into healthcare um, are empaths. I give a workshop for you know, just people who, in healthcare on how to use their empathic abilities with patients without taking on their patients' pain and stress. With, you know, this is a skill set. There's nothing wrong with you if you're listening to this show and you say, wow, I'm an empath, but I'm kind of ashamed of my abilities or I'm weak. You know, I'm here to say that it's just not true. You are beautiful. You are strong. 
Empathy is a trait that allows us to feel what others are feeling. And I believe it's a trait that will save the world ultimately. Now I feel that strongly about it. That's why I wrote the Empath Survival Guide. But in order to manage it, you have to learn how to set boundaries. You have to learn how to say no. You have to learn how to create alone time and talk to your family members so that they're not always intruding on your space. Judith, what happens to the body when we take on too much stress? Oh, boy. You know, personally, I know what that feels like. That really hurts. You know, it's extremely painful to go on sensory overload. It just feels like lights are too bright, sounds are too loud, people are just, you know, all over the place and overwhelming you. It's just a very painful feeling. I I take care of myself and practice self-care a lot. But sometimes I experience that in airports because I travel, you know, to give workshops. And I, one of my, my points that I'm working on to be more grounded is how to do that in airports. Because it's so overwhelming to me, particularly if flights are late and, you know, it's jam-packed with people. So I know my stressful areas. Um, and so at, at those points, you know, I try to go sit in a corner, you know, where other people aren't around me. Or I try to focus or read something beautiful or listen to beautiful music so I don't focus on the chaos. I hear so many people walking around saying, oh, I'm so stressed out and I have so much to do and they're really frazzled. And they're looking at stress as though it's something out there happening to them where I'm starting to learn and believe that it's more an internal reaction to what's happening on the outside. Do you think that most stress originates internally or externally? Well, we can modulate how we react to stress. I mean, certain things are stressful. If a tiger is running after you in a jungle, you're going to, your stress hormones are going to be surging for your body. So there's a reality of that stress. But if you deal with it in a Zen-like way, rather than freeze and panic, you you know, you have a different result. And so... Being an empath, and what I really suggest, as you just did, is that we need to take responsibility for how we respond to stress and not just have our buttons pushed and bam, our cortisol and adrenaline are surging through our system, decreasing our immunity, causing us to age faster and making us feel terrible. You know, we want to be able to say, okay, you know, these are stressful events. Maybe map out your day before, you know, you, you go through it and say, all right, these are potential peaks of stress. And this is what I'm going to do to practice self-care during those times. Planned out as much as possible because what you can have control over is how you respond and your attitude. You know, our little piece of real estate inside our own bodies, that we can control. And that's the key because we feel like we're helpless, but we're not. No, nobody's helpless. But it feels like you are because there's so much that comes at you so fast. Judith, is there a difference between an empath and someone who's just compassionate? Yes, there is. And in the book, I talk about the spectrum of empathy. And in the middle of the spectrum is regular empathy, where you your heart goes out for somebody if their child graduates or you know if they're in pain. You, you just feel for them, natural empathy. But if you go up on the spectrum to the highest part, that's the empath. And the empath feels for other people, but they actually take the emotions into their own bodies. And so that's very high up on the empathy scale. 
and plus empaths have highly developed intuition so they can sense and know things perhaps that you know people in the middle of the spectrum don't don't know and and one thing i'll be talking about in my workshop too are the opposite of empaths which are the narcissists and they're at the low end of the empathy spectrum they have empathy deficient disorder you know it, it's strange if you're an empath and you're trying to wrap your mind around what that means but they truly don't really care what you what you feel and so for you to open your heart to a narcissist or hope you can heal them with your empathic love it just isn't going to happen if they're a full-blown narcissist so on the bottom of the empathy spectrum we have the narcissist in the middle we have beautiful empathy and then at the top we have empath do empaths tend to attract narcissists in relationships because there's that codependency oh definitely it's it's something i work with my patients all the time on because empaths are constantly being attracted to narcissists and narcissists of course are attracted to empaths because they're so sensitive and loving and you know they love to help and they overgive and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know narcissists love that but empaths often are attracted to narcissists because they see their false self right. you know they're seduced by their false self narcissists you know can come on as empathic and loving and oh you're the most important person in the world oh here are some flowers and oh let me take you to the ocean i know you love the ocean you know whatever you know they could really turn it on in the beginning but you know the minute you don't go along with their plan they get cold withholding and punishing and in the empath survival guide i have a whole outline on how to identify a narcissist is if you're an empath and you don't know the signs of a narcissist you are in danger mm-hmm. because you can be seduced by people and they put on such a good front you can't see through it it's very hard unless you memorize the, the signs of a narcissist and then it's very easy to spot them judith can you just give us a couple of signs first of all i strongly suggest everybody who suspects they're with a narcissist just provoke a conflict Now, just don't do something their way and see how they respond because uh-huh. narcissists don't like that they get mean cold punishing they hmm. might not return your calls they might give you the silent treatment whatever they're going to do something that's going to show their colors so you know even if you're in the honeymoon phase of this quote you know my found my soulmate relationship and you suspect they're a narcissist just prod them a little bit mm-hmm. um, because narcissists you know they're buildings named after narcissists in los angeles we have medical centers named after narcissists mm-hmm. and it's wonderful that they give their money in their name but they can you know i they can be the most withholding, controlling, d- destructive people I know with sensitive people because they don't have a heart. They like being recognized, and they'll be just wonderful to you if you do everything according to their plan and compliment them. But if you deviate, forget it. You're off their list. Judith, what happens in the brain when we take on the energy of another person? What does the neuroscience say about the empath experience well that's really fascinating because it's thought that empaths have a hyperactive mirror neuron system and the mirror neuron system these are the neurons in the brain that are responsible for compassion and so they've done brain scans where you're hooked up to a brain scan and you're an empath and then you see your partner getting pricked with a needle or hurt in some way 
your mirror neurons light up like crazy hmm. because you start feeling what's going on in the people you love. That's and fascinating. So it isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really the mirror neuron systems are our neurological saviors. You know, they really are. It's the the mind spirit connection, mind body spirit connection of compassion and love. Do you think that people that are empathic are perhaps misdiagnosed with things like depression or anxiety or other diseases when it's something like this that maybe doesn't require the medication that they're given? Oh, as a psychiatrist, this is the bane of my existence. People get misdiagnosed all the time, empaths. They'll go to uh, conventional doctors, they'll be given the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, autoimmune, um, panic disorder, um, depression, chronic fatigue, and they'll be given all sorts of medications which sort of work but don't really work. But if you're an empath, that's your primary diagnosis. And you need to be given strategies on how not to absorb the stress and uh, angst of the world so that you develop all these symptoms. Because when empaths have a whole toolkit of strategies that they use, uh, they are different people. They are strong, they're vibrant, they're creative. When they meet stress, they know how to handle it. They know how to practice self-care. They're not afraid to say, no, I'm too tired, I can't go. They don't become a doormat just you know, because they're people pleasers. You know, there's a whole range of protection techniques that you need to learn in order to take care of yourself. But once you do, wow, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be an empath. So, Judith, let's talk about a few of these strategies that we can implement to protect ourselves. What are some things that we can do that can help us in an intimate relationship? Well, and, and there's a chapter on empaths and love, which I think is really important because a lot of empaths either stay single get attracted to um, unavailable people Mm -hmm. um, or just stay in relationships and don't speak up and are miserable. So, you know, none of those scenarios work out very well. So as an empath in a personal relationship, you have to begin to express your needs, um, simple needs like, you know, I I would, I need to spend an hour resting or meditating, you know, versus doing the dishes, doing the laundry, listening to your husband, watching the news, you know, all the uh, things that create external stimulation. You want to learn how to limit your stimulation and connect to your heart, the silence, you know, what your inner voice is saying. And the way you do that is to learn how to set clear boundaries with your time. As empaths typically get run over by other people and all their demands. And yet they want to please. But when you as an empath and say, I need my alone time, I need to sleep in my own bed tonight, you know, I feel like, you know, doing that. Or, you know, I need to go take a bath and spend time taking a bath. Or I'm going to go take a walk in nature. Or, you know, say no to becoming overly committed to things. Empaths often overcommit themselves to things and, you know, over schedule themselves and that's the kiss of death for an empath and that's exhaustion and you could be running to the doctor oh I'm so tired then you get a diagnosis of chronic fatigue and it's none of that it's you're an empath who hasn't learned to set boundaries so you know in very practical ways and of course meditation 
is one of my primary practices to center myself and to bring myself back to my heart if I'm scattered, if I'm stressed, if I'm upset. You know, just I have a sacred space at home where I sit and I learn to year after year after year bring myself back to me, which is a centering practice that empaths need to learn. It comes down to self-care. It really does, yeah. So, Judith, if someone is surrounded by an energy vampire or a toxic person, practicing self-care, that's a wonderful way to manage, but sometimes it just simply gets to be too much, and sometimes you don't have the option to get away. Is there anything else that person can do to manage being around toxicity? Yes, just notice your emotional triggers and begin to heal them so you don't do the dance with the toxic person. The problem with toxic people is that if they press your button, say, you're not a very good daughter, you're not spending 15 hours a day with me, and you believe that, and you, you know, continue to do that, you're going to be dead soon because you can't fulfill that in any, any shape or form. It's not reasonable. And so to say, let's say you're living with an elderly mother and who's, you know, not in a very good mood a lot of the time. And that people come to me all the time in that situation. And and yet, you know, you want to take care of your mother. You you want to get help if you can. And you don't want to be the only one taking care of your mother. But, you know, you you have to learn to, to, to delegate, to get help. When she pushes your buttons and says you're not a very good daughter, just smile at her and walk away. And if you feel like you're not a good daughter you need to you know go into some kind of therapy or coaching to turn your head around and to realize what an incredible daughter you are so you know it comes down to emotional triggers we get drained when somebody pushes our buttons and we react and so part of healing as an empath is learning to identify your emotional triggers and not always just respond with intensity every time somebody pushes your buttons Judith, social media has created a place for negativity. Short of abstaining, how can one manage this technology while avoiding anxiety? That's a great question um, because people get addicted to social media. I have uh, a group on Facebook. It's called Dr. Orla's Empath Support Community, and it has about 13,000 empaths there. Um, But I have strict rules in the group. You know, I have no negative talk, no, you know, always being respectful, um, just very solution-oriented. So I've had to set a very strict structure for this group and so it doesn't um, degenerate, you know, into arguing. And then there's no politics in the group because that's a sure, a sure way to get people drained and angry and upset to have all those buttons pushed. Um, and so, you know, I would just stick with places on social media that are supportive and affirming and if you're addicted to the news cycle i would look at that and you know only limit your exposure to news don't keep checking it you know the checking you know with the phones the addiction to cell phones and the checking aspect of the the addiction to devices is what can drain people they can't stop checking the book is The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. If you would like to get more information about Dr. Orloff and her work, you can visit drjudithorloff.com. That's D-R, drjudithorloff.com. 
Judith, in our final moments, we've mentioned the Open Center in this interview, and you're going to be there this month on October 15th. Tell us about that event. Yes, I love the Open Center. I love coming to New York. Um, I'm going to be giving an evening on protection strategies for empaths and sensitive people. So the whole evening is devoted not just to theory, but strategies on how you can protect your energy from narcissists, from energy vampires, um, how to set limits and boundaries, all of that. The whole evening on October 15th, I think it starts at 7 o'clock, and um, the book will be given away with the workshop, and you're all invited. It's October 15th, Protection Strategies for Empaths and Sensitive People at the New York Open Center, and I think you can find out either on my website, drjudithorloff.com or opencenter.org. Judith, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Listening to everything that you talked about, for me, I, I have wrapped it up with the takeaways to be mindful of the situation, practice self-care, and set boundaries. And, and I think those are good general rules to follow, whether you're empath or not. I mean, they're just great rules to live an empowered life. So thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing. It's my pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. If you gain weight despite relentless exercise and willpower with dieting, if you suffer from low energy and feel like you could sleep all day, if you struggle to focus as brain fog sets in for no apparent reason, and if you're constantly hungry, often craving sugary foods, then join me on Wednesday, October 17th for a special Conversations with Joan event. Are you feeling fat, flabby, fatigued, foggy, or forgetful? My guest for this evening of health is Dr. Lorraine Maida, who is a recognized and award-winning holistic, functional, and integrative medicine physician and author. Dr. Maida will discuss how you can regain your health, reignite your life, and enjoy greater clarity, focus, energy, and happiness. Learn to live healthier with energy, vitality, strength, stamina, and self-confidence. Be less reliant on medications. Improve your brain function. Learn how to manage your weight and incorporate movement into your daily life. Joining in the conversation are Mark Anthony, a personal trainer, Jackie Klein, a certified nutrition consultant, and Dr. Michael Magwood, a chiropractor. 
The event is being held Wednesday, October 17th, 7 p.m. at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit CYACYL.com slash conversations. That's CYACYL.com slash conversations. I hope you'll join us. Let's start talking. today is Mark Anthony, the founder of Primo Health Solutions, Prospect Fitness, and Vice President of Diet Typing Systems. Mark is a certified personal trainer, functional movement specialist, and certified diet typing specialist. He's here today to discuss mitochondrial efficiency. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me on today. So, Mark, mitochondrial efficiency, this sounds so important. What exactly is it and how does it impact our life? Mitochondrial efficiency has to do with how effectively your body produces energy. It also deals with how well you care for your mitochondria, which ultimately leads to a healthy body. Mitochondria are little bacteria-like organelles, structures located in our cells. There are many functions of of the mitochondria. However, the primary purpose of mitochondria is to produce energy for our bodies from the food that we eat and the air we breathe. Mitochondria can also regulate the atmosphere of the cell, respond to hormones, and are responsible for cell death. Roughly 70 billion cells die in an adult body every day. So then how does our diet affect mitochondrial efficiency? Our diets probably have the greatest effect on mitochondrial efficiency. Without proper nutrients like B vitamins, coenzyme Q10, alpha-lipoic acid, and antioxidants, the mitochondria do not function well. A poor diet can also lead to the destruction of the mitochondria's DNA, which research is learning can lead to diseases like cancer, Parkinson's, and autism. Can we help our bodies create more mitochondria? Absolutely. Exercise is probably one of the best ways to build mitochondrial density. Our cells have a range of a few dozen mitochondria to several thousand per cell, with most cells having one to 2,000 mitochondria. Mitochondria can possibly make up to 40% of our biomass. The more the body senses the need for greater energy through exercise, the more the cells will pack them with mitochondria. Since mitochondria are part of the body that burns fat, the more you have, the greater your chances for weight loss success. Also, you will want to do both strength training and cardio exercise to build mitochondrial density. Mark, thank you so much for being here. This is such an interesting topic. If our listeners would like to get more information about this or any of Mark's work, you can visit his website, primohealthsolutions.com. And as always, to hear more from Mark, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Mark. We'll be right back. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. It's clear in 75 degrees what's going on. We have the answer. Opinions are split nationwide over the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And that's no different on the streets of New York City. Olga Brees reports. New Yorkers are known for their strong opinions. Loud chants from protesters as they marched from Union Square to Times Square Saturday night after the Kavanaugh confirmation. Sophia Roberts says she wants to be heard. I felt unheard as a woman, and with the experiences that I've had, it feels like um, it feels like America saying we don't we don't believe girls. Protesters vowed to keep a keen focus on the court and continue speaking out, but supporters are just ready to move on. I think it's a good thing for the country, and I think that um, the truth and justice prevails. Kavanaugh takes his seat after a 50 to 48 vote. Court sessions resume Monday morning. 
I'm Olga Breeze, NBC News Radio, New York. Thank you, Olga. A 62-year-old man is dead following an early morning house fire on Staten Island. Firefighters say that they rushed to the home at 15 Scenic Lane in Park Hill around 3 a.m. In the house, they found a man, unconscious and unresponsive. He was rushed to Staten Island University Hospital, where he passed away. Fire investigators are at the scene trying to figure out what ignited the blaze. In sports, while the Rangers fell to the Hurricanes 8-5, Jets beat the Broncos 34-16, but the Giants lost to the Panthers 33-31. Traffic delays at the inbound GWB on the upper level. Accident blocks two lanes mid-span. We're looking at at least an hour delay. Lower level delays are 45 to 50 minutes. Lincoln Tunnel inbound is a 40 to 45 minute wait. And Holland Tunnel city bound, 20 minute delays from the 1 and 9 approach only. Weather for tonight, some clouds, low 67 degrees, cloudy skies for Monday, high around 70. And then clouds early on on Tuesday, sunny, a little bit later on, highs of around 78. You now know what's going on. I'm Amy Salerno on AIM 970, The Answer. Let's face it, we love Alexa, and we love to let her find your favorite radio station. This one, of course. We love it, too, when she finds us. But she could find us easier if we taught her a simple skill. To get started, simply say, Alexa, enable the Answer New York skill. After she confirms, you can then say, Alexa, play the Answer New York. That's all you have to do, and Alexa will learn how to find us. You can listen to us through your Amazon Echo, Echo Show, Echo Dot, and Amazon Tap devices. Alexa, what is your favorite radio station? That's easy. AM 970, The Answer. Hi, this is Bill Martinez. Join us as the conversation continues about immigration, about our health care system. It's all about us. It's all about the truth, wherever it leads. Bill Martinez live, Monday mornings at 12 a.m. on AM 970, The Answer. Our hosts all look like GQ models. See them now at am970theanswer.com. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Does your family suffer from affluenza exhaustion? Are you confused by the me, me, me attitude of your child? Whether your children are 6, 16, or 36, it may be time for an entitlement intervention. Today's guest, Dr. Michael Wetter, explains how we can create a family culture where responsibilities are honored, praise has meaning, and gratitude is second nature. Dr. Wetter is an author and nationally recognized behavioral health expert. His new book is Earn It, What to Do When Your Kid Needs an Entitlement Intervention. Welcome, Dr. Wetter. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So, Doctor, it feels like we are living in a society of entitled individuals. It does, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How did this happen? What has occurred from the time I was a child in the 70s until now? You know, I'm also a child in the 70s, so I think we're a product. Um, you know, I, I think what happened was when, when you look at historically, you had a culture and, and the, the generation of the baby boomers where everything was invested so much in the work ethic and the, and the, the goal of which was to essentially produce so that you have some form of security, produce meaning earn an income. And that, that was a product of the Depression. That was a product of the wartime era. Mm-hmm. And so much emphasis then was placed on working, earning, and producing. But I think when it came to the 70s, there was a sort of shift in the emphasis to, 
we need to focus more on nurturing. Uh, and like the, the pendulum culture that we are, we don't go to the middle, we go to the extreme. Right. And I think where that tended us to go is that's where you get those participation awards. Hey, it's not that you did a great job in playing baseball. It's that you showed up to play baseball. Right. So we're, right. so we're going to give you a trophy. And I think that sort of perpetuated as, as time went on to become this thing of I am now entitled to the recognition uh, that I think I deserve because I showed up to play. And in doing that, because I, I know that's such a hot topic, that was a great example, because I raised two boys who did play sports, and and I always felt that we weren't getting them ready for life because they never learned how to manage disappointment. Correct. And I think, you know, one of the most important lessons we can teach our kids, easier at a young age, but certainly at any age, is a successful way to deal with failure, a successful way to deal with disappointment when things don't go your way. How do you recover? And what that essentially builds is such a key component of human behavior, which is resiliency. We need resiliency in the face of adversity. We need resiliency in order to power on. And when we don't have opportunities for successful failure and to learn from those mistakes, children lose the ability to develop and build resiliency. Doctor, how much of an impact do parents have on children and how much does society influence their behavior? Because I always see parents kind of raising their hand saying, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I can think of. Parents have 150%. Parents have to be the filter through which society's influence passes through. Mm -hmm. We are guardians of our children. And as as parents, myself, you know, I I, I lump myself into this. I have a uh, a beautiful daughter, uh, Leah, who's, who's eight and a half years old. And trust me when I say, whether it's a television show, a YouTube channel, a book, a comic, whatever it may be, a video game, it has to pass the daddy test first before it goes on to Leah. Do you think it's time that parents take back their homes? I think parents should never have relinquished them. <laughs> so the answer to the question is yes. Remember, you know, the role of a parent is not to be your child's best friend. Right. They will develop best friends over the course of their life, and those best friends will change over time. You are the parent, and your job as the parent is not to be their best friend and not to fall into the trap that I believe we all make, which is the desire to always keep our kids happy. When we try to make our kids happy all the time, we step out of that role as parent. We step out of that objective protector, that filter. And instead now, we're trying to do whatever we can to keep that smile on their face. What do we do? What do you say to that parent who raises up his or her hand and says, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do here. At that point, what I would ask is, what have you done thus far? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take an inventory. Let's look at what you've done. And rather than looking at it from a judgmental standpoint of what's good and what's bad, let's look, look at what's been effective. And I think if you know, we can take that standpoint, right away we eliminate that, that uh, rule of judgment that so often hangs so heavy over many parents. I'm not a good parent. I'm not, a, I'm not doing a great job. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good father. That's not about that. How effective have you been? And then, again, we take a step back and we say, what is it that you want for your child? What's the goal? What is it that you want to accomplish? Now, now that we have a goal, now that we have an endpoint, how do we assess and how do we plan to achieve that goal? What behaviors do we need to do? If we're talking about your child having a more... Um, uh, a higher appreciation for the things they have and having a more uh, open attitude towards gratitude, what words are we using every day that model for our children uh, gratitude and acceptance? So, for example, a very simple one. It's very easy to say, 
come on, wake up, I've got to get going, I have to go to work, versus saying, come on, let's go, we have to get ready, today I get to go to work, and I need to get going so I'm not late. Same thing gets modeled with the children. You know, some days my daughter goes up, oh, why do I have to go to school? And I'll say, you don't have to go to school. In fact, we'll take you out of school. You never have to go to school again, but then you'll never go to school. And she goes, oh, no, 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 I want to go. I said, then you get to go to school because there's many people in this world that would give their left and right arm both to be able to go to school, to be able to learn, to be able to be with their friends, to be in a nurturing environment. So let's appreciate the fact that you have this opportunity. The only thing you have to do is get up and to reframe that attitude, reframe the words we use. Remember, we model for our children and they reflect back to us what we are modeling. Doctor, what is the difference between someone having self-confidence and someone who's entitled? Ah, that's a great question. <laughs> and it's one that I'm struggling to answer each and every day at times. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think that self-confidence is the ability to face adversity and take responsibility for what you're doing to earn that achievement. I think self-confidence is the knowledge that whatever may come, you are going to continue to work to push forward and you're going to make that difference on your own. Whereas entitlement is externalizing the blame, externalizing the work. You know, I shouldn't have to do this to earn this. I shouldn't have to work as hard. The reason why I failed is X, Y, and Z because of those people, not because of what I did. And I think fundamentally that is the boundary and that is the distinction between uh, self-confidence and entitlement. Dr. Wetter, thank you for reminding us of how everything starts in the home, how parents need to understand that we are role models for our children, we should take advantage of teachable moments, and that we all need to look for mutual benefits. I think if we spend more time doing that, we can definitely improve the quality of our life and the future generations. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. Professional organizers love to put things inside a box, but sometimes the best way to help a client is to think outside the box. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. There is no one-size-fits-all organizing solution, so we need to customize our solutions to the uniqueness of the client. The more natural and geared to the way a client thinks a system is, the more likely the solution will stick and the easier it will be to maintain. These solutions can be fun and exciting, engaging a client's emotions, interests, and sense of humor. For example, a client of mine loves theater but has difficulty processing his laundry. We created a playbill that laid out the steps he needed to follow as a series of acts in a play. A new client is a photographer. We'll figure out ways to organize her home according to the tools she uses and activities she does related to her work, like a camera lens and developing a picture. Do you need help creating and implementing out-of-the-box organizing systems? Call me, Gail Gruenberg, of Let's Get Organized at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. Are you stuck in a leadership quagmire, unable to gain the footing you need to make the progress you want? Hi, I'm Amy Blumberg, an executive and leadership coach, but many of my clients call me the dot connector. If you're what I call a builder, a serial entrepreneur, ambitious visionary with strong leadership skills, who has built a business or brand but can't connect the dots, here are three strategies for my Building Dots program. 
One, start with a vision and build a bridge to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Two, explore how you can leverage your expertise and accomplishments to open new doors and pursue interesting opportunities. By expanding your network, you can increase exposure to other executives and business owners who can provide industry contacts, guidance, and advice on how best to execute your vision. Three, channel your ambitions into a plan of action by simplifying the process, establishing priorities, and setting achievable goals. No matter what stage you're at, having a definitive and deliberate plan will reduce stress and stimulate positive action. I can help connect the dots because I've been a builder too. With one-on-one thoughtful direction, I can help you make the right strategic decisions to vault you from where you are to unlimited possibilities. So let's connect and stuff yourself. For more details, Details and contact information, go to amyblumbercoaching.com. At Amy Blumberg Coaching, I connect people and possibilities. Therapy can't help me. I can do with my own stuff on my own. No one would understand. I don't need to pay anyone to listen to my problems. Hello, I'm Davida Rabinowitz, a licensed therapist at Davida Psychotherapy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard these statements from people. I understand these thoughts. However, the problem lies in that doing nothing about them, nothing really will change. Unless there is a resolution, it is impossible to feel relief from your symptoms and to be happy. If you had an infection in your foot, you would go to the doctor to get relief. Why not seek the same for mental health relief? In psychotherapy, the therapist applies empirical, valid interventions so people develop coping skills and habits to leading fulfilling lives. Therapy can also help with a wide range of issues from sadness, helplessness, depression, low self-esteem, to addictions such as alcohol and drugs, to family issues and everyday issues. Anyone feeling overwhelmed by such issues can be helped by psychotherapy. Therapy will help you understand your feelings and what makes you feel anxious or depressed. It also uses talking as a treatment rather than medication, but some challenges require both medications and psychotherapy. There are different types of therapy. Behavioral therapy can help you understand how changing your behaviors can change how you feel. Cognitive therapy can help PTSD. And paired with behavioral therapy, it can address thoughts and behaviors. Interpersonal therapy focuses on relationships, and there is also family and group. If you would like to learn more about therapy and how it can help you, please visit DavidaRabinowitz.com. Hi, this is Dr. Michael Magwood, chiropractor from Pure Balance Center with offices in New Jersey and in New York City. I'm here today to share with you a beautiful letter a young girl had written on behalf of her gratitude to her mother for everything she did to support her during pregnancy. This mother had gone for chiropractic care from a preconception standpoint. Mom, you knew about innate intelligence because the chiropractor taught you. You trusted that there was a limitless power to produce and sustain my life. Secondly, you lived a wellness lifestyle that supported mine. You hydrated your body, you indulged in only the right sugars, you rested, and you exercised. And for those choices, I'm grateful. Thank you, Mom. This is the type of letter that warms my heart as a chiropractor specializing in pediatric and prenatal care. For more information, reach out to Pure Balance Center. We can be found at purebalancecenter.com. Albert Einstein once said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand it, earn it. Those who don't, 
okay it. Now, whether or not Einstein actually uttered those words, they are definitely wise words of wisdom to live by. Putting money away and investing it, it's not always easy. It takes discipline to create a savings goal and sticking to it. Now, before investing, you want to make sure you have enough to pay your bills as well as an emergency fund to cover three to six months of your living expenses. The rule of 72 states that a 10% investment will take approximately 7.3 years to double. Now, the average rate of return of the market historically is around, you guessed it, 10%. Now, you may not realize it, but over time, this is a secret to wealth building. The earlier you start, the more potential you have to fund your retirement, your freedom, or your life goals. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but it's about using your skill set to create life leverage. Everybody has different goals, time frames, and risk tolerances. So if you've mastered your budget and don't know where to start, talk to a financial professional to help you discover who you are and where you want to go. My name is Alfred Cantalina of Sure Path Wealth, helping to arm people with knowledge to live a greater life. we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Dr. Lorraine Maida, a functional and integrative medicine physician who practices anti-aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss the top three things to add and subtract to prevent breast cancer. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joan. So, Dr. Maida, breast cancer continues to be one of the leading causes of cancer in women. How much of that is genetic? Contrary to popular belief, only about 5 to 10% of breast cancers can be linked to genetics. Most people are very much aware of the mutations of the BRCA genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2. These are the most common genetic cancers, and women with BRCA1 mutations have a 55 to 65% increased risk of developing breast cancer, and women with a BRCA2 mutation has a risk of 45%. About 85% of breast cancers occur in women who have no family history of breast cancer. So these occur due to genetic mutations. Our genes sometimes make mistakes, and that happens as a result of the aging process, like in general, environment, and lifestyle factors. So it's mostly environment and lifestyle that increases our risk for cancer. Doctor, are there foods that women should avoid to decrease the risk? Yeah, people are going to hate me, but caffeine <laughs> is associated. Everybody loves their coffee. Caffeine is associated with an increased risk of breast cancer because it suppresses a p53 gene that makes a protein that slows the growth of precancerous cells. So these, it's a suppressor gene. So the risk of breast cancer occurs when drinking about. 250 milligrams of caffeine, and that's about two small cups of coffee. You can still have some coffee. It has good antioxidants. Just don't overdo it. What else should women avoid? Sugar. Cancer loves sugar. It feeds on sugar and suppresses the immune system, and it gives cancer the fuel to grow. The other things that I would avoid would be vegetable oils and trans fats. That, that's found in processed and fried foods because these are inflammatory. Oils such as corn, 
safflower and sunflower oils as well as margarine and anything on the label that says hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated. They create inflammation and that inflammation increases damage to the DNA and the damage to the DNA increases cancer. So everything you just described is pretty much a staple in the life of most people. So let's have some good news. What are things that we can add into our diet to decrease the risk of breast cancer? Well, green tea. It has polyphenols that have such powerful cancer-fighting effects. It improves insulin receptor function, lowers blood sugar, lowers lipids, helps you lose weight. So it's a fabulous thing to add to your diet. The other thing is fiber. What people don't realize is when you try to get rid of estrogen as it's broken down, it gets out of the stool and it could be reabsorbed, especially if you're constipated or you don't have enough fiber. So fiber will actually bind the estrogen and get rid of it. Also feeds the bowel lining, which protects you. And the bowel lining has 70% of your cancer-fighting immune system. The last but not least are omega-3 fats. These are, you know, found in salmon and fish and fish oils. They reduce the risk of cancer because they're anti-inflammatory. They also reduce the risk of insulin resistance, which causes weight gain and metabolic syndrome, heart disease, cholesterol, joint pain. You know, because inflammation is the root cause of almost all chronic illness. Anything with an itis, arthritis, gastritis, tonsillitis, autoimmune disorders. So these are very, very helpful to fight inflammation. And they're in things that I call fats that flow. These are fats that can be made into an oil. So fish, olives, avocado, nuts, seeds, and any of their oils, except for the safflower and sunflower. And there are also many lifestyle and environmental factors that affect our immune system. Our immune system is the surveillance for cancer. So you can prevent many, many types of cancer, not just breast cancer, as well as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, dementia, and more, just by eating the right kinds of foods and subtracting the wrong kinds. Dr. Mita, thank you so much for being here. As you were speaking, I was looking at the cup of coffee that's next to me at the desk. So I know I'm going to be making some changes tomorrow, and I hope our listeners will join me in doing so. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Dr. Mita and her work, you can visit howtoliveyounger.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Mita, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lorraine. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your Rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 722 1154. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. 
If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.